Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. If you live in the Middle Tennessee area, every Wednesday starting February 4th from 12 to 12.45 p.m., we're hosting our next series of lunchtime talks at the Village Chapel. We'll be looking at the scriptures, studying several encounters with Jesus on his way to the cross. Lunch is provided and we encourage you to bring a coworker or friend. You can register at thevillagechapel.com slash events. This week on the podcast, we're continuing our study of the Gospel of Mark. Now, here's Pastor Jim. So it's the final scene in the temple courtyard in Mark's Gospel. Jesus is publicly going to pose a riddle. Do you like riddles? I enjoy riddles quite a bit. So he's going to do that. And then the other thing that's really amazing that I enjoy doing, and maybe you do too, is people watching. And Jesus does a little people watching in the temple there and points out a very interesting person that, uh, I don't know, I I think this is one of the more fascinating accounts uh, of Jesus acknowledging something he sees in someone. So with all of that as a preamble, let me begin to read Mark chapter 12. Uh, We're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter, verses 35 through 44. It goes just like this. By the way, it's uh, on the heels of uh, Mark's comment in uh, verse 35 there. After that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. See, this String of people have been coming to Jesus, literally stalking him and trying to trap him in uh, some kind of uh, situation where they can discredit him saying something, uh, either that would be offensive to the Jews or offensive to the Roman occupying authority. And so he's bested them every single time. They bring all their difficult conundrum questions, and he he replies to many of them with questions and uh, just literally silences silences them. And there's a couple of people who have come with legitimate questions, and we've made that observation, haven't we? So uh, this most recent one, this where Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And that, boy, what a, what a great thing. I wonder if later uh, that, that person, that man, uh, ended up becoming a believer in Jesus. Well, verse 35 picks up right on the heels of that account. And Jesus answering began to say, as he taught in the temple, and here he poses a question publicly. It's his riddle, if you will. How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself said in the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. David himself calls him Lord. And so in what sense is he his son? And so here's Jesus, uh, you know, publicly posing this question and uh, to some very learned people as well as to the common people, whoever's standing around, there's probably hundreds if not thousands of people leaning in to hear every single thing Jesus has to say by this time. Um, His power to heal, his amazing teaching, 
uh, his bold uh, assertions and claims about who he is. Uh, all of this has led to uh, quite a bit of interest and curiosity. And so he raises these questions. Now, I do, I want to point out in verse 36 there where Jesus is asking this question, uh, why, how is it that the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? And then he immediately says, quotes David, he says, David himself said in the Holy Spirit. I like that phrase, in the Holy Spirit. Um, this gives us a little bit of insight, doesn't it? into the view of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, his view of the Old Testament in the Holy Spirit. That is, Jesus' view of the Old Testament is that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So again, we have this uh, almost kind of a uh, full-on endorsement by Jesus of the Bible of his time, which would have been the Old Testament, and uh, he's pointing back there and saying, hey, look, David, in what we call Psalm 110, David said this. And uh, he connects the dots, doesn't he, between David's uh, Lord and David's son. And that's an interesting connection there. But Jesus is saying, how can David say that about his one of his descendants, how can he call one of his descendants Lord, one of his sons, if you will? Remember, for Jews back then, they wouldn't, even if you weren't the immediate son, if you were the grandson, great-grandson, or great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson, you're still in the line of David. And so that's, the, um, that, that's how they would use the term son, one of their sons. And uh, here he's connecting David's son with David's Lord, and trying to get the Jews of his own time, Jesus is, trying to get them to see that Messiah, when he comes, will not only be the son of David, which is what people have been calling Jesus. Uh, not only will he be the son of David, but he'll be the Lord, the Messiah, the one who is in the line of David and is also God's Messiah. Well, let me continue to read there. Um, David himself calls him Lord. So in what sense is he his son? Verse 37 uh, finishes like this. And the great crowd enjoyed listening to him. I like that. Oh, I love that. I, I The great crowd enjoyed. They delighted in listening to him. I like that. Um, uh, you know, can you think back to a teacher in your life that you delighted and you enjoyed going to their class? You, if you were in college and you were signing up for courses, you were like, oh, I want to get that professor. That, that's one of my favorites. And, and we've all had teachers and mentors like that. Um, and here we have this just, you know, every bit a human experience where people are on a human level just really enjoying and on a spiritual level enjoying what Jesus has to say. He's delighting them. He, he's delighting them with these interesting, very thought-provoking kinds of things that he will say, including this riddle that is here. In his teaching, verse 38, um, he was saying... <clears throat> Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They are the ones who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Now you have to know there's some 
very quite likely some scribes, like the fellow we were talking about earlier, standing around while he's saying all of this. Um, and he's basically saying, you know, there's a lot of people that are posers. Um, the word hypocrites, as he unveils and reveals their hypocrisy, the, the word hypocrite means actor, people that pretend they're posers, if you will. They wear the long robes, Jesus said. They they say these long prayers in public because they want everybody to hear them saying these long prayers. And uh, it's just amazing when you think about it. I remember a little story, and I may have told it on Timeless Truth before. I hope you'll forgive me if I have. But I love the story of the mom who takes her little daughter to the prayer meeting and uh, puts her in the back. of the, She's uh, got a little coloring book, and she's coloring in the back uh, row there. And mom goes up front to where there's a small gaggle of adults that are praying together at the prayer meeting, and they go off into their lofty prayers, and some of them praying in King James English, and you know, when, when they don't really talk that way at all. But but at one point, there's a break in the action, and the little girl stops coloring, puts down her crayon, stands up, and goes, Dear God, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and goes through the entire alphabet. Her mother comes running back. Everybody's up, you know, what's going on? This is so inappropriate during a prayer meeting, you know, for this kid to just go like this. And and uh, her, her mom comes back and says, what are you doing? She says, I don't know all those big words. I just thought I'd give God all the letters and let him put it together himself, you know, and I, collective awe. Okay. Awe. Yeah. Uh, it's very sweet. I think our, our tendency sometimes is to um, uh, drag public praying into the performance category, just like we do everything else. And sometimes uh, if we, if it comes around to us, we're concerned more about how we sound when we pray. <laughs> to others, then we are uh, connecting and communing with God, you know? So we should be more concerned about communing and connecting with God and not let prayer become something that's a pr another bit of uh, performance worship, if you will. Uh, these folks had that wrong. And at the same time, Jesus said, it's not only that they do a bunch of things wrong. They, you know, they're looking for the best seat in the house at the banquet. They're looking for the uh, uh, places of honor in the synagogues to sit and all that. They want to be revered and and seen by everyone as as uh, really important and and really uh, significant in every way. And then they verse forty, they devour widows' houses and for appearance' sake they offer long prayers. Uh, these will receive greater condemnation. So they're again Jesus is is uh, showing us that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And uh, so many of these folks, these religious leaders of his time, had fallen into uh, uh, sort of a public performance religion and uh, wanting to be respected, wanting to be the most popular, wanting to have the most authority, all of that. And uh, Jesus says, Hell, we'll have none of that. We're going to just expose this for what it really is. And he even says they devour widows' houses, which is interesting because of what is about to happen. Remember, I told you he was going to do some people watching here on his last uh, uh, scene in the temple uh, courtyard area with, uh, within Mark's gospel anyway. And let me read that for you. He sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the multitude were putting money into the treasury and many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. 
like C-E-N-T, ascent, okay? And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Wow. Well, that that is a a very profound story, isn't it? And uh, again, um, you've got to see this if you can. He goes from the public teaching that the riddle that he poses and tries to get people to think about King David, great King David, everybody revered him. And how is it the great King David would say that that David, the son of David, the Messiah, the messianic title, son of David from Daniel chapter seven, how is it he would call one of his own descendants, Lord? Um, And he's getting people to think and connect dots. And this is all, for some of them, the lights are going to start going on after the resurrection in a big way. Meanwhile, he stops from his teaching and he notices this woman. And as he sits down opposite the treasury, it's almost as if Jesus knew this was going to happen, right? And uh, it's because he previously had just said, they literally devour widows' houses, meaning that some of the self-righteous religious people, especially those that were in the temple when Jesus overturned all the tables and cleansed the temple because they turned it into a a den of thieves robbing from the, the poor people. And so here Jesus in the temple area uh, uses that as an example. And then here comes this woman who comes and gives just two small copper coins, which amounted to nothing, but she gave all that she had. And these other people were there as well. They were going, you know, dancing and prancing and singing and swinging their coins or their paper money or whatever it is that they had. They made a very public show of their huge gifts and they wanted everybody to see it. Um, and, and they wanted to make sure that they felt really good about themselves. Uh, and here's this woman who probably, you know, just quietly shuffles on up to the little uh, trumpet, the little treasury, and throws in these two copper coins. Not wanting to make a big show of it, but couldn't, didn't have anything to brag about. And yet Jesus said she gave more than all of the other contributors to the treasury of God, because in God's eyes, um, his economy is a little bit different. (laughs) So I love uh, what Jesus does here. He teaches about something. He even includes the illustration of the fact that these uh, performance religious people um, are devouring widows' houses. And then along comes this poor widow and uh, gives these two copper coins. He's connecting all of this together. Look at that. Look at that. All of these object lessons are right in front of us all the time, according to Jesus. Yeah. So there's so much. What made these people delight in his teaching? Well, in part, uh, I'm going to quote from Justin Brierley's book here, The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God. In part, I think, uh, as Justin says there, the story of a Messiah who was crucified as a criminal by the Jews' imperial oppressors, that'd be the Romans, and then discovered alive again three days later by a group of his female followers— would have gone against all their prevailing Jewish cultural and theological norms. 
this would be a very odd story to invent the resurrection. That's, that's so true. Because uh, not only of the fact that dead people don't get up out of the graves, out of their graves, but as well, uh, because the story is first told to women in a Jewish context in the Roman Empire context. And women were not even credible witnesses in a court of law back then. That's just the way it is. Not saying it was right, just that's the way it was. If you got to fabricate something, you wouldn't do it that way. You'd you'd tell some of the prominent leading, well-respected men, like some of these religious folks think used to think they were. Um, and so here is this gospel narrative. And it's just constantly surprising and constantly good news. Um, Jesus declared that she gave more than all of those well-educated, um, uh, wealthy, uh, leading citizens of the time. One of the most obvious things about the widow's might, the, the, the widow, is that here's Jesus praising a person who was undoubtedly socially and religiously marginalized, a poor person who was a, a woman who was a widow. So on all, I mean, just there's so many levels and so many layers on which this widow woman, poor widow woman, would have been marginalized socially and religiously, but not in the eyes of Jesus. No, I wonder if she might have overheard some of what Jesus said about her. I mean, he sat right across from the treasury. We're told that right there. I wonder if he said it loud enough for her to hear. Uh, and she may have demurred. She may have been a really shy person, very you know, self-conscious and aware and all that sort of thing. But I just wonder if she heard him say that. Uh, or if not, I wonder if she heard someone else who heard Jesus say that. I wonder if she heard from one of them, you know, you won't believe what the teacher, what the rabbi was saying about you earlier today. Um, I... I, I, just to think about that just inspires me. I can't wait to get home uh, to heaven one day and find this woman who gave the widow's might, perhaps chat with her just a little bit uh, and, and, uh, and, and find out what it was like that day. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin is one of my favorite uh, contemporary writers, a great apologist for the faith, just a great uh, uh, biblical thinker, and I so appreciate her work, we've we've uh, used some of her books in our greenhouse program at the Village Chapel, and highly recommend uh, literally everything she's written. So she's got a book called Jesus Through the Eyes of Women, um, and I, this is a lengthy quote, but I'll put it in the show notes uh, for those of you that are interested in this. Um, she says the four New Testament Gospels tell multiple stories of Jesus relating to women, poor women, rich women, sick women. Grieving women, old women, young girls, Jewish women, Gentile women, women known for their sinfulness, women known for their virtue, virgins and widows, prostitutes and prophetesses. Looking through their eyes, this is Rebecca McLaughlin now, she says, we see a man who valued women of all kinds, especially those vilified by others. Indeed, the way that Jesus treated women tore up the belief that women were innately inferior to men, a belief that was pervasive in the ancient world. We should not be surprised, therefore, that women have been flocking to Jesus ever since. Yeah. 
So well said uh, by Rebecca McLaughlin, uh, Jesus through the eyes of women. It seems to me um, that when we read the four gospels, a recurring implicit theme there uh, appears to be this. We find exemplary faith where we would least expect to find it often. And we often do not find exemplary faith where we would most likely expect to find it. Whether that's evidenced in the faith that we read about in a Roman centurion, uh, or, as is the case here, the faith of a poor person who is more than likely uneducated, who also happens to be a woman and a widow at that. All of these conditions would have been socially and religious strikes against her, social and religious strikes against her. And um, yet Jesus said she gave more than all the others. And he made a public spectacle of her <laughs> in a way that those other people wish everybody would have noticed them. And yet we're still talking for 2,000 years now about the widow's might. Uh, because Jesus pointed her out. And in his economy, she's the one. If I ever grow up someday, I want to be a little bit more like the widow in this story. N.T. Wright uh, has a series of uh, commentaries. Um, he goes under the pen name there, Tom Wright. And uh, he has one called Mark for Everyone. This is a quote from that. Her sacrifice, though small, was total. Once again, when we read this story in the light of Jesus' riddle about David's Lord and David's son, we discover a strange affinity. One might have thought she was merely putting in two copper coins, but in fact, she was putting in everything she had. One might have thought the Messiah was merely David's son, a human king among other human kings. But in fact, in the Messiah, Israel's God has given himself totally, given all that he had and was. At the end of this chapter, we are left on tiptoe with expectation. I love that way Tom Wright says that, and I agree. Chapter 12 ends that way. We're left with a few questions. What's going to happen with the temple? What's going to happen with Jesus? Um, why has the story of the life, the teachings, the, the death the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus. Why is all of that? Uh, why has all of that had such a huge impact in human history ever since it happened? These are good questions to ask. We'll continue to explore them as we continue our walk through Mark's gospel. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for this passage today. And I pray for myself and for those who are listening or watching today. Uh, give us, Lord, that whole-souled adoration uh, of you that the, the, the widow had. Um, give us the humility. Uh, give us the, the sense of total abandon to you. Um, Lord, give us the, the sense in which we see everything you've given to us as belonging to you. Um, and, and Lord, help us, help us avoid the pitfalls of performance religion. Uh, of just merely wanting to be seen by others. Our hearts are such suckers for the siren song of celebrity and fame and fortune, all those things. Um, and, and they aren't, while they may not be evil in and of themselves, Lord, they, they certainly can corrupt our hearts and our souls. So give us a sense of not only belonging to you, Lord, but of 
constantly wanting to give to you and to serve you and to honor your name and to to give ourselves away in service of others as well. Uh, Make the gospel audible and visible in our lives today, we pray in Jesus' name for his sake and glory. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.